Well, good morning. The uh, more perceptive among you may have noticed that uh, I am not Pastor Kyle. Uh, I am Cody Lewis. I'm the youth minister here at Hoswell Baptist Church, and I've been given the honor this morning of delivering the message uh, for you all as we continue in worship. Um, and so I, I, my, my hope and prayer as I'm prepared for this is that uh, you guys will get to know me a little bit better, get to see my heart, uh, because I believe that this message that God has given to me today really reflects my true desire uh, as I lead the youth uh, and as I engage in the congregation here, that what we're going to talk about today might be my lasting legacy leaving this life. Um, but if any of you guys know me at all, it doesn't take very long for you to realize that I am a pretty nerdy guy, right? Um, I absolutely love fantasy stories. Uh, C.S. Lewis has said of it, at all ages, if fantasy and myth is used well by the author and meets the right reader, it has the same power to generalize while remaining concrete, to present in palpable form not concepts or even experiences, but whole classes of experience, and to throw off irrelevancies. But at its best, it can do more. It can give us experiences we have never had, and thus, instead of commenting on life, can add to it. I, I really love that. And, and growing up, one of my favorite book series was The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, I remember the first time I read through it, I was in middle school. I had just gotten detention in middle school um, because I talked too much in class, and I'd gotten in trouble enough times that I got in real serious trouble. And so I got home, and I was grounded for about a month and a half from everything. Uh, the only thing I was allowed to do was chores and read. If the TV was on in the living room, I wasn't allowed to walk through it. Like it, was, it was not a good time. Uh, but during that, I picked up the Chronicles of Narnia series, and I read through the whole thing in about two weeks. Um, I, I just really love them. And you know, to this day, I still love the writings of C.S. Lewis. Um, and at the time, I also really thought it was fun that we had the same last name. Uh, I was almost a C.S. Lewis myself, you know. Uh, my middle name was almost Stephen, but it's actually Hunter instead. Uh, so when I start writing my own books, they're probably not going to sell as well because it'll say C.H. Lewis. Um, but he's still one of my favorite writers to read, whether it be a fictional story like, Mir uh, like the Chronicles of Narnia or the Ransom Trilogy, uh, or his nonfiction theology and philosophy books like Mere Christianity or The Great Divorce, I just love his writings. He believed that good fantasy had the ability to make the world around us seem richer and fuller, that we were drawn to fantastical stories and myths because deep down we realized that there is something transcendent and otherworldly missing from our lives. Humans are creatures who are created by the stories we hold dear. That's what myths and fairy tales were originally made for, actually, to teach people what that particular culture values as virtuous and condemns as sinful. C.S. Lewis has said, the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth working on us in the same way as others, but with the tremendous difference that it really happened. In my experience, however, this is not the way most people think about Jesus or how it feels to have a relationship with him. Simply consider the regular disciplines we encourage each other to practice, daily Bible study, regular times of prolonged prayer, and faithful church attendance. Those are the big three, right? And while most Christians have asked what it means to be a follower of Jesus, would say something along the lines of, it's about having a relationship with God. 
Or it's about being safe from the penalties of our sins. In practice, most Christians view these big three disciplines as what being a real Christian is. And believe you me, I love these practices. It's my concern, however, that most church attenders don't love them. It is my belief that at best, Christians view these practices as the work they must do to draw nearer to God. At worst, it's a tedious chore we endure so we can feel secure in our salvation. Most of us view these things as boring and tedious. And that's the false narrative that the enemy has sold to us. This, this story that following Jesus is something we do because we have to do it to stay out of hell. Uh, and that these big three practices are what we must do in order for God to keep loving us. And again, in theory, most Christians would hear that and say, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. I'm saved by grace through faith alone, and nothing can separate me from God. But in practice, practically, most of us who commit to these practices do so because deep down we think, well, it's what we have to do. And that's, that's really it. And that's the thing that's the most insidious about this false narrative that the enemy has sold us. It's based on a kernel of truth, as all his lies are. A twisting of God's commands, perverted beyond recognition of their truly glorious realities. The truth is that these big three practices are, in fact, vital to a healthy relationship with God. We need to be in the Word in a meaningful way every day. We do need to be spending time kneeling before the throne of God in prayer, pouring out our hearts to Him every day. We need to be faithful attenders of the church that God has placed us in. But the lie in Satan's deception is that we're to do these things as slaves who are fearful of our master. We're to do these things in such a way that all of the passion, all of the joy is sucked out of it. Right? None, and what the slave works with passion for the will their master. What slave works like that with a passion and a, and a desire? None. No, the slave works out of fear and bitter resentment so that they don't face punishment. The false narrative that Satan is selling has been unfortunately bought by most believers. Are you one of them? Have you bought the lie that the life of a believer is one of tedious chores that distract us from the things that you really want to do? Have you bought the lie that all that God desires of you is the diligent carrying out of a list of chores? Have you bought the lie that this is all that there really is to being a Christian? Dorothy Sayers was a mystery author in the early 20th century, but she was also a faithful follower of Jesus. In her book, Letters to a Diminished Church, she wrote this of our condition. The people who hanged Christ never to do them justice accused him of being a bore. On the contrary, they thought him too dynamic to be safe. It has been left for later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. We have efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. That was her prognosis 100 years ago. How do you think we're doing today, church? Have we gotten any better? According to Sayers, our problem comes not from a lack in God, nor from the joy that can come from his commands. Our problem stems from a false picture of the true Jesus. 
So today I want to address that problem. Let's cast off our perception of Jesus as a declawed lion in a cage and take up the glorious image of the Lion of Judah. As that song that we sung at the end there says, let us behold our king for who he truly is. You know, a great quote from the Narnia books about Aslan, who is the allegory for Jesus in the story, comes when Susan asks Mr. Beaver if Aslan is a safe lion. He replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Let's look at our king in all his splendor this morning. We're going to do that. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It reads, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. I really love the book of Hebrews. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, seriously, in my opinion, there's no better book to recalibrate our view of who Christ truly is than the book of Hebrews. If you've never read through it, I encourage you to do so. The author spends 13 thrilling chapters pouring over just how truly awesome Jesus is. Unfortunately, my time today is limited, so we can't go through the whole book together. I apologize. Uh, but you know, even as I say that, some of you guys in the back of your minds think, well, thank goodness, I've got things to do later. The Super Bowl's on. I've got to get prepared. I've got to run to the store. Uh, hopefully this guy doesn't go on too long. And isn't that just our problem? Our greatest desire ought to be for knowing Jesus, for pleasing him and being in his presence. And if we don't want that, it's not because Jesus comes up short. It's because we aren't seeing him clearly. So let's work through these verses together and try to clean up the window we're seeing him through. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the heir of all things. This world and all that is good in it belongs to the fair prince who has become our king. He owns it all. He owns us all. By right, he can rule over us in any way he sees fit. He could rule as a king uncaring for the needs of his people as a king who views his subjects as beasts of burden, whose only purpose is to work the field so that he can reap a fruitful harvest. Does that resonate with any of you? Does that sound familiar? Is that not the version of the king that Satan has told us of? A king who longs for his subjects to serve his every whim, to break their backs, bringing about his will, and in return he provides protection from an even worse fate? According to the enemy propaganda, our choice is not between a good destiny and a bad one. It's between a bad destiny and a worse one. But is that the kind of king that Jesus truly is? Does he rule with an iron fist, desiring for us to just grovel before him? That's the Messiah that his disciples expected when they asked him if they could sit at his right hand when he comes into his kingdom. Listen to how he, he responded in Matthew chapter 20, he said, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. 
It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Though he could rightfully rule as the Gentiles do, lording it over his subjects, our king chose a cross as his throne. Instead of sending off his people to die in pointless wars, our king died as the ransom for us. Instead of demanding we wait on him hand and foot, our king kneels down to wash his people's feet. Is he not a worthy king? Is he not worthy of our admiration and our love and our devotion? This is the true king. The fact that Jesus is the heir of all things is very good news, people, especially to a world so resigned to having bad leaders. We have a good king. And not only a good king, but a powerful one. The author of Hebrews says that though Jesus, or that through Jesus was the world made, that by the very word of his power is the entire universe upheld. His name is more excellent than that of the angels, and he sits on the throne of the kingdom of heaven. No, he's not safe. He's not boring. Like Dorothy Sayers said in credit to his enemies, they acknowledged that what made Jesus such a threat was how dynamic he was. They could never predict what he was going to do. And the Jesus they knew was one who, in Paul's words, had emptied himself. A Jesus who was intentionally holding back was an unstoppable threat to them. That no matter how much they cornered him, no matter what they tried, whatever scheme they come up with, there was nothing they could do to stop him. Every time they thought they had him cornered, he would come to do some, something just so radical and unexpected to the delight of his followers and the chagrin of his enemies. Imagine a Jesus working without his hands tied behind his back, the incredible things that he might do. How wonderfully adventurous a life following him would be. Every day, a new and exciting journey he would take us on, showing us things we could never imagine, giving us gifts beyond our wildest dreams. Is that the life you lead? If not, is it Jesus' fault? Is he not powerful enough to give it to you? James doesn't seem to think so. James chapter 4 says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do, not know, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And he finishes with this. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. Have you sacrificed the joy that can come from fully devoting yourself to God in order to receive the fleeting pleasures of this world? According to James, you have not because you ask not. If you feel like your walk with Christ is empty or boring or tedious, you have not because you ask not. Do you ask for God to fill your life with wonder and joy? 
Or do you ask wrongly for him to give you what you need so that you can waste it on the world? Jesus desires to bring us along with him in the work that he is doing. And his work is exciting and joyous and satisfying. All we have to do is to have faith in him. Have faith that Jesus is good, that he is powerful, that he is dynamic, and that he is worthy of our time and affections and devotion. I want to close today by reading a passage from Hebrews 11, which is a chapter where the author of Hebrews shows to us what the lives of those who have faith can be like. Listen to these words and the lives of these, these individuals that the author writes about. And, and imagine yourself in their shoes. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32, it reads, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Is that not a life worth living? Is that not a king worth following? No, it's not a safe life to follow Jesus, people. It's one full of risks and dangers and evil enemies. But all good adventures are. C.S. Lewis has said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Which will you choose today? A life held back by fleeting pleasures, half-hearted devotion, and empty promises, where the most precious thing to you is your free time and how you will spend it? Or will you follow the King of Kings, the one who so desired for you to join him that he died for you in order to pave the way? All you have to do is have faith. Believe in the King. Here in a moment, uh, I'm going to ask Pastor Kyle to come forward. We're going to have a time of invitation. And, and as we do that, I want you guys to reflect on that, on that choice that you have this morning. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know this king that I've been talking about, today is the day to get to know him. He is the true king, the true 
one who is worthy to give your life to. If you want a life full of joy and full of love and full of meaning, if you want your sins to be forgiven and your life to be enriched, today is the day to follow him. He has died to make a way for you to be able to do that. But if you do know Jesus, if you have been following him, but lately it feels like your walk with Christ has become stale, has become just this, this rote, unending just list of chores that you carry out. You show up to church on Sunday because you have to. You read your Bible in the morning to check it off the list. If that's you, and this morning you're sick of your life feeling that way, I would encourage you to come forward and ask for some prayer. We, we, we will pray over you, or perhaps in your seats, if that's more comfortable with you, you can pray there. But ask God to fulfill all of the, the longings in your heart. We were made for something more transcendent and more wonderful than this world could ever offer. And that can only come from Jesus. And he tells us that we have not because we ask not. Ask Jesus to fulfill your life today. I'm going to close with prayer, and then we'll have the invitation. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are a worthy king. Because there are so many other false kings and false leaders out there trying to usurp your throne, and they are not worthy. Lord, they cannot bring us meaning. They cannot bring us joy. They cannot bring us satisfaction or fulfillment. But Jesus, you can. You can satisfy us beyond anything we could imagine. So God, I pray that you would help us to lay our lives down at the foot of your cross, giving ourselves to you wholly and completely with everything that we are. Help us not to hold back anything, but plunge forward in faith into the adventurous life that you are calling us to. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.
You may be seated. I want to say thank you to Cody for bringing a wonderful message today. I heard, are you serving Jesus because you get to? Because it's an all-out privilege and honor to serve Jesus? Or are you serving Jesus because you feel like you have to? And all the time just feels like this obligation. It's not easy to, to preach on Sunday mornings. And Cody did a nice job today. Um, so thank you so much, Cody, and thank you for uh, your ministry here uh, with our youth group um, as well. Let me just share a few quick announcements um, before we close. Take note that next Sunday uh, we're going to have a business meeting at 6. Before that, uh, the deacons and yoke fellows will meet at 4 o'clock. And then also, um, we have a few more weeks for this, but we're going to return on Sunday evenings uh, with our Around the Table uh, Bible study with a new study, and it's called Rediscover Church. Why the church? Why is it important? And what is the church for in a believer's life and in the world? So come and find out more about um, the church through that. Um, also on four o'clock, and this would be a really special time, um, one of the Sunday school classes is going to lead us um, in a prayer vigil for Dave Taylor um, this coming Thursday at seven o'clock right here, um, right where we sit here in the FLC. So everybody's welcome to come to that, and we're going to have a, a time of prayer uh, for Dave Taylor. And then thank you also, uh, Kelly, for sharing about the work of the Gideons. Um, if you would like to support the work of the Gideons and make a donation this morning, we've 
placed a basket on the table to your left as you exit, just right next uh, to the offering plates for regular tithes um, and offerings. And if folks want to write a check, should they make it out to the Gideons? Okay, make it out. Okay, you can make it out to Gideons International or just Gideons if you want to write a check uh, for that. Let me share a, a, a benediction with you and, and we'll be dismissed for this morning. This comes from uh, the letter of Ephesians uh, at the very end, uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 23. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that same grace is with you and yours today. God bless you.